welcome to another edition of What Are You Laughing At? The show that tells you everything you ever wanted to know about the very latest British comedy news and quite possibly a heap of stuff you'd rather not. Joining me today is podcast regular Tony Cowart, arguably the only working stand-up in Britain not currently in Edinburgh. Although, Tony, your name is in lights in Edinburgh this year, isn't it? Even though you're not going. It is, I believe, yes. Yes? I'm, I'm featured on Stuart Lee's poster. Oh, right. So you must have said something really horrible about him then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I made some perhaps slightly ill-advised comments, although nothing too harsh. No? Uh, it's been edited slightly, so it comes across as slightly more harsh on his Okay, okay, yes, because um, it, I, I wrote a piece about Stuart. I'm a big fan of uh, Stuart. I, I wrote a piece where I thought he was being slightly disingenuous in his uh, criticism of Michael McIntyre, but uh, I tell you, his, fa- his fans, um, you're not going to get many Stuart Lee fans coming to your gigs. I no, no. They're, they're, they're more loyal than Justin Bieber's fans, I'd say, really. Our special guest today is possibly the busiest comedy producer in the world. Uh, this month alone, he's been behind uh, three big new radio series. Uh, if you're a Radio 4 listener, you'll have probably heard his name on that station more often than Rupert Murdoch's. He's one of the great unsung heroes of the British comedy scene. It's uh, David Tyler. Hello. Hello, Hello David. And uh, well, later we'll be talking to David about uh, those uh, three shows. That's uh, John Finnamore's Cabin Pressure, uh, Milton Jones' show and uh, Bigipedia. So uh, we'll talk about those and a lot more. Overseeing this grand project, as ever, is the British Comedy Guide's comedy controller, Aaron Brown. Now, we begin with news, and uh, Aaron, you've got something... Uh, Yes, this is the news that the BBC Three sitcom Ideal has been cancelled. This leaves new channel controller, Zy Bennett, with just two um, comedies existing from before his tenure. The puppet-based sitcom Mongrels and Russell Howard's Good News. That's, that's, it's, it's been quite a cull, really, hasn't it? Because there's two pints of lager Somewhat uh, that's of a also cull, gone. Yes. What was we were mentioning? Coming of Age, coming How of age. Not to Live Your Life, although he has granted that a final special, and Lunch Monkeys. Critically, some of those have been more successful than others, and uh, audience-wise, uh, others have. But, I mean, it does, that seems like a, um, a cull rather than, than, a, than a sort of... General sweep out. Are there anyone any thoughts about the future of a BBC Three comedy? It, it does feel like somebody's had a word with someone, doesn't it? In a high place. I mean, all incoming controllers tend to sort of go, well, "What can I kill off of my predecessors so I can make room for my own new favourite things?" But to remove everything except two, you do wonder whether someone inside the BBC has said, "We've been we, BBC Three has been hauled over the coals by Parliament, you know, select committees too many times. We better shape up." Do some, you know, do some comedy that isn't uh, Daily Mail unfriendly. Don't know, just guessing. Well, the the pilots he's commissioned wouldn't necessarily suggest that. There's a uh, one with Sharon Horgan and Holly Walsh, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. uh, set in a women's prison. I believe they're both lifers. Did they not know Googie Withers is dead? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's uh, they've taken over the mantle from Googie. Nobody, nobody one. can take over the mantle from Googie. Well, you obviously um, never saw Prisoner Cell Block H <laughs> then, David. <laughs> and the, I think there's another one about a bomb disposal team. Well, there is, oh, yeah, but that's, that's written by um, James, James, James Carey. Who was very own James who, Carey. Um, who writes, you know, has written uh, Miranda, so it's, it's, I mean, even, you know, I know that that's not going to be deliberately uh, provocative or radical. It's no, just it's set out to be funny. Interesting to see where he goes over the coming months with that, but it's uh, an interesting start. I'm, I, as far as I'm aware, unprecedented. The right. The sheer amount that he's cut. Yeah, because, I mean, Sharon Hawkins was another uh, victim of the... Uh, 
BBC Three acts. That was before he he came in, wasn't it? So yes, um, so it's good that she's uh, going to be back on telly. I, I was actually um, converted to uh, two pints of lager when uh, when I was um, bottle feeding a baby at uh, eleven o'clock at night and wasn't able to watch telly with sound. And so two pints of lager. <laughs> <laughs> when you watch it with subtitles. You realise it's a fantastically well-written show. Perhaps um, that's the audience they were aiming for. <laughs> small children. People with people very small children or, and deaf people. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of my radio is better without sound, I've been told. <laughs> well, uh, certainly some of the uh, content on radio would, would work better. Uh, I'm not just talking comedy shows here. Um, <clears throat> you and yours. yours. Uh, no, sorry, I didn't say that. Um, so it is more about the new controller imposing their will on the station, possibly. Other news, uh, Channel 4 have launched Comedy Blaps, uh, an online-only variation of their comedy showcase strand of pilots. The first batch of Blaps, you try saying that uh, at 11 in the morning, will consist of five shows, including an animated version of Viz from Baby Cow and a new comedy called Business Mouse uh, from Modern Toss and uh, a sitcom called Hidden, about an inept undercover policeman. So, online comedy, is this the future of comedy? Um, no, it's probably the future of comedy that's going to then get made properly a little bit later. Yeah. Um, because without proper lighting and costumes and makeup and music and stuff, it can all come up a bit shit, can't it? That's true, yes. <laughs> yes. Any other thoughts about that, Tony? No, I think it's a similar thing. It's a good way for people to showcase their talents, isn't it, in quite a rough and rough form, and then to be taken by producers like David there mm. to make a polished product for TV. Well, hopefully that's that's the route that um, Meet the Adabanjos is going down. That was a, a sitcom that was launched online and became very, very popular and successful very quickly. And uh, having been turned down by the BBC originally, now the BBC are uh, in talks with the makers of that show. Um, so that's, um, that's a good, promising start there. Um... So it being August, really, um, we don't have a huge amount of news from the TV world. Just um, uh, James Carey isn't with us uh, now, so I can actually mention that there are lots of new panel shows, and so uh, <laughs> you won't hear the sound, Rupert Murdoch-style sound of a head thumping against a, a table, which is what James would be uh, doing now. If At I this point, James bursts in with a pie and <laughs> smacks it in your face. That would have been, yes, well, uh, been good. It would have been... Yeah. Opposite. <laughs> it would have been of the moment. But yes, um, the, the, the rise of the panel show. Now, um, shows like <laughs> Would I Lie to You now are starting to get DVD releases. Um, this is quite, this is a sort of new development, isn't it? I mean, because. Uh, people not got Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that, must be, that must be the only explanation. Or maybe because when you see the word Dave, it looks a bit like DVD. <laughs> so they just sort of go out and buy it. Um, Let's not uh, go down the route of, oh, it's the end of um, sitcom, all these bloody panel shows, but there are too many of them, aren't there? Let's be honest about this. Yes? Yeah. No? Um, I, those who... uh, I, there may or may not be, but that would be the same argument as saying, oh, if you only got rid of that big nuclear bomb, we could have five more hospitals. You know, it may be a false opposition. Uh, I don't believe if panel games were cut, they'd then commission a lot more scripted comedy. They'd just have more reality shows and shows where you don't have to pay people. Um, the, if you think about it uh, logically, they're, they're just a different budget, uh, a different budget model. Mm. Um, you know what you have to pay the contestants is surprisingly tiny. Uh, I, you know, relative to what you have to pay the most proper actors doing rehearsals and shooting and everything. So if they cut them all, they wouldn't get, they wouldn't have any more. 
sitcoms, you just have a lot more stand-ups with um, less exposure. So I think it's very good. I think it's good for live comedy as well. I can think of one comedian in particular who's quite brilliant, uh, absolutely marvellous, has been for a very long time, finally got on Mock the Week and um, stuck a naught on the number of people coming to see him. Mm. A naught at the back, not at the front. That will make no difference <laughs> at all, obviously. Uh, and that's just nice and fine. It's not that a crime. That is wonderful. You know? I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Milton. Uh, oh, did I say it was Milton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that he... he, he uh, I, I think of him more kind of as the exception uh, that proves the rule that, that largely a lot of the panel shows do seem to be made up of uh, comedians who have got they've gotten straight to panel shows. I mean, uh, again, I don't want to sound like boring old git here, um, <laughs> but when I was starting out, the the, the, uh, the panel show or the hosting of the panel show was seen as the sort of as, as the kind of the final the final step, showing that you had sort of given up on the comedy world and you've gone into gone into TV, it seems now to be more like the, the first step. But I, but I don't think that's a terrible thing, is it? No, I mean, people, I'm I mean, just being an old git, really. Well, no, it's just, when, when you actually do a makeup panel show, you, you, you really, you do bring a tremendous amount of stand-up skills to it. It, it isn't, uh, it isn't, all oh, look, we put them in suits and now they're just answering questions off a card. Um, you know, bad stand-ups make bad panel guests. Um, my personal feeling, I'm brilliant ones make brilliant panel guests and it's no coincidence that say somebody like Russell Howard um, is a great comedian and then shines on What the Week and then shines in his own show and that's fine that's yeah. alright I, you know? I think there's different levels of panel games as well isn't there there's, uh, there's the sort of at the top end you've got QI and on the radio um, just a minute and those sort of things and then you've got lower levels I mean you uh, which I'd consider 8 out of 10 cats and would I lie to you perhaps at the slightly lower end where you're getting newer acts coming in because uh, you don't see any new acts or QI, do you? They've been pretty established. Yeah, yeah. So there seems to be a kind of graduation. Okay, okay. Well, I'm sorry, James Carey, that is not Murdoch, but um, <laughs> the panel show is here to stay, and the panel here are all in favour of it. Um, well, two of them are anyway. I'm not until I get invited on to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I hate any panel show that hasn't asked me to be in it. <laughs> Um, okay, quick quick chat now about show, current shows. Not a lot to say. Um, there isn't a great deal of new stuff on the telly, as we've um, been discussing in these podcasts. The uh, Wall of Fame show on Sky One has uh, not really received a, a, a lot of press. Um, my family is carrying along with a, a mixed reception on the BCG forum. Uh, consensus is the quality has generally declined over the last few series. Uh, still shows the odd spark. There's my favourite joke, which has made a nice effort to highlight um, great comedy moments, but a lot of the BCG forum people feel that the editing is questionable, with talking heads ruining almost every joke, be it revealing the punchline or just cutting up the timing. Show Me the Funny hasn't been thought much of either. There's some bits that are interesting, but as predicted, it's more reality contest than comedy at present. OK, um, so now shows that are coming up, again, not a huge amount, uh, but there are some new shows starting up. Mount Pleasant is coming soon, Sky's new comedy drama. Now, uh, like with comedians, I think, on panel shows, there's good comedy drama and there's bad comedy drama. Yes, comedy drama is a phrase. It's like one of those two-word phrases that chills the blood, isn't it? Like, shoot on warehouse. <laughs> just, uh, because yeah, I, I, I said, well, no, actually, it's terribly untrue to people like Alan Plater. Uh, and so, you oh, know, when you great. remember things like the Beidebeck affair or stuff like that, which yeah. were genuinely funny and moving, but I suspect a lot of comedy drama was commissioned as comedy, and then halfway through they thought, oh, 
it's not right. Enough. Let's call it comedy <laughs> drama. Um, I, it, it's a phrase that just irritates the pants off me, I'm afraid. But that's terribly cruel. There may be some fantastic stuff. There are lots of great counterexamples you can now throw at me. Well, uh, all I'll say is that it's um, written by uh, shameless alumni Sarah Hooper. Um, and shameless, I think, did a very good job of being a drama that was very, very funny. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think anyone who thinks that a drama shouldn't have any comedy content in has, mm. has not watched enough Dennis Potter, in my feeling, but mm. in my opinion. But I think that's very different to um, thinking of a, I mean, a, a comedy drama which is properly, properly funny at its roots. Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkins used to pull it off about five or ten years ago. They used to do a whole series of one hours, mm. um, which I think was sort of quite satirical. Um, but there aren't that many. Yeah, well, Andy did bedtime, didn't he, for a while? That was a good. Um, that was that was. I'd, yes, I'd comedy. Call that, I'd call that a comedy. I'd call that a comedy. I think the yeah. fact that it had sort of dramatic truth and content right. didn't mean that they had to yeah. stick okay. it in the comedy drama camp. Yeah, Cold Feet. That, that, that's yeah. the sort of template, that's good. Cold Feet's it, really? good. Yeah. Cold Feet's good. Tyler says Cold Feet's good. Well done, yes. everyone. We all go home. <laughs> no, I mean that was a great example of a great comedy drama. Yes, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, let's uh, talk now about the uh, festival. That I just, I'm going up for about three or four days, and I, I started to look through the Fringe programme uh, to find, see if there's, because I've got one night that I can go to a, a comedy show, and uh, I got through 80 shows, and then I realised that I had just finished A. So <laughs> I gave up at that point. I think I'll just... <laughs> Find a find a room somewhere. And Andy Zaltzman is going to be cross with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, Andy Zaltzman is probably one of the, one of the comedians I definitely would want to go and see. So I don't need to look at the Fringe program for him. Um, he should change his name to Andy Zaltzman, <laughs> like uh, Malcolm Andy. Hardy always did to get the, be the first name in the Fringe. He changed his name, changed his show's name to Ag <laughs> the Tunnel. He did. Um, he did. Yeah. So um, and there's still a few of those shows there coming up. Anyway, Edinburgh, so um, anyone got any top tips, recommendations for me? Yeah, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to confess before I, that I've been such a blur um, making shows that I've stupidly not really clocked what's happening up there. Um, I'll probably, if I did go up, I'd just go and see Stuart Lee, otherwise he'll shout at me. Right. Uh, that's about it, really. Okay. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a massive buzz this year about, normally before Edinburgh, there seems to be buzzes about people's shows, and I haven't really heard too much about anyone apart from people like Sarah Milliker, and mm. obviously a fairly tried and trusted nowadays. Right. Um, Steve Day, I've heard quite good, good reports yeah, about well, his Steve's always previews. done really good shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he tends to only go up for a week or two. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, Run, Deaf Boy Run, isn't it? His, his uh, show this year, all about his marathon exploits. Right, right, okay. Um, yes, because, um, I mean, it is phenomenal uh, the amount of shows that do appear to be well, on. Um, I tried to work it out the other day how long it would take you to see every show, every comedy show at the festival. I think it came up with something like 10 years. <laughs> There's nearly 3,000, I think, yeah. isn't comedy shows that are now. Hell of a it's while, yeah. Life. Some shows actually feel that long when you're in there. You've been there <laughs> 10 minutes. Nothing, there's nothing like going to your fourth show at 11pm in a, in a boiling hot room uh, and feeling absolutely shattered and suddenly sitting in a comfy chair. However brilliant the act is, you just say, oh, I could just... 
have a nice little kip. Now. Well, some shows are good for catching up with a bit of sleep, aren't they? You, know, you can sit in the back <laughs> in the dark. Oh, I think, I, no, we've been we've been way too we've all been way too jaded. It's oh, it's fantastic. It's brilliant. I think that oh, I love it. The, I, I, the, the wonderful thing about Edinburgh is that whatever stage you're at in your career, you can go up and, and give it a go. And you know, it, it would be horrible if it, st- it started to dwindle. Um, mm. I mean, of course, it's bonkers and madness. And as a producer, you sort of just get very tense and sweaty because you think after the one thousand three hundred and twenty, I might get to see about. 15 and I can't and it's too much and arg but it's a great thing it's good yeah yeah no it is brilliant and also the very first year that I I went up properly with 1984 um, the big story I remember was um, the people from the international festival were complaining that um, the comedy had got too commercial and they had taken over um, so nothing changes <laughs> in Edinburgh. Um, so yeah, so we're all very excited for it and in, about it. We're all very excited about Edinburgh. And in fact, our next podcast is going to be coming from uh, Edinburgh. And we so we don't know who the guests are yet, but hopefully we will have um, two or three of the big uh, hit performers um, in about three weeks' time. We'll be. Um, doing a podcast up there so looking forward to that and uh, if you do go up um, in, as a punter uh, pace yourself have some fun and uh, don't try and see five shows in a day um, but and if you're up there as a performer don't try and do five shows in a day but take a chance on things as well go and see the yeah. big names uh, but take a chance can, can I just say by the way the don't, go and, don't be in five shows a day rule doesn't apply to Robin Ince <laughs> see, who can be in as many as he can manage. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's, the, he's the one exception in that case. Okay, so um, I hardly need to say joining us now is David Tyler because he's already been uh, joining in, um, which is great, and we're, we're very pleased to have uh, David with us. Now, I mean, it's, it's quite astonishing that we, we, we talk about, we've been talking about the shows that have been starting up on, uh, on telly. Uh, in the last sort of two, three, four weeks, and it's been this panel show, uh, that documentary, and uh, this that stand-up show. David, you've got three shows that have started. There, there, none of those things. Some narratives, uh, some stand-up, but they're, they're all very different. Each show is very different from each other. You've got uh, John Fidemore's Cabin Pressure, which is just coming to an end on Radio Four, fantastic sitcom. Um, Wikipedia, which, uh, as you can probably tell from the title, is a marvellous radio uh, attempt to put all the entire knowledge of the, the world into um, half an hour of comedy and uh, the aforementioned uh, wonderful uh, Milton Jones uh, with his stand-up show that is also um, has some narrative to it I think it's fair to say. Three shows couldn't be more different. Um, so David when, when people, apart from people who come to you with ideas, I mean what are you looking for when you see a new performer? Um, oh, uh, so assuming they're sort of funny, funny enough to be exciting uh, and funny enough in a way that is sort of susceptible to being done on the radio, which pretty much includes most people. I think there's almost nobody. I mean, maybe, maybe Jerry Sadovitz and that bloke Slava who does the snow show from Russia are the only two people I can think of who you couldn't put on radio. Um, are they funny? And, then, and then, then the next thing would be, assuming you're sort of meeting them wherever with their agent or in, uh, after the gig or whatever, um, what do they want to do? What's in their head? What do they think might work? Really, well, yeah. And then after that, you work out the content and the form after that, really. You, do, you have tended to work with uh, 
that's so slightly more left field uh, comedians, <laughs> haven't you? Really? I mean, uh, <laughs> what's, is that a conscious decision? Is that, um, is that what appeals to you? That's an uncle. Um, no, not at all. I mean, I think you know, radio by uh, by definition has always been um, an entry level medium. It was the only entry level medium, sort of, bef- when I first started in uh, in the mid eighties, because um, that was even before sort of the young ones and little armadillos and all that stuff that was getting on telly as stand-up shows for alternative comedy. Um, but it stayed that way, even though new young comedians can sidle onto panel games now onto telly more uh, and do bits and pieces on the net and get onto blaps and stuff like that. But it's still a big heavyweight entry, entry medium. So I think that's probably why it would appear that an awful lot of radio shows um, show preponderance to newer comedians. Um, occasionally... Uh, a very established comedian will sort of go, do you know, I fancy doing some radio. And then the question is, do you really mean that? Um, that's an interesting conundrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, is when someone very established goes, oh, I fancy a bit of radio. And you think, yeah, it's, it's sort of not any easier than telly. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, go, don't go thinking we can just sort of have a tape running in the background while you do your shtick. Um, but I suspect most big comedians don't do radio because it's not worth the time or money for them. I don't know. But it's it's relatively easier, isn't it, in terms of uh, production? Assuming you've got a good show, uh, you've got a, I mean, you can have a great script for telly and great performers, and it still doesn't quite translate. There's, there's, there are less there are less ways that things can go wrong, aren't there, between recording a radio show and it going out? Uh, um, there are fewer things that can go wrong, but the depths to which they can go wrong are just just as profound. You know, a show can have just as many existential problems on radio as it does on telly. And ultimately, I think uh, um, telly, which has gone wrong in the costume department or locations department, but is still tremendous, will win through. Whereas if it's duff at its core, then light radio it won't work. But I'm thinking specifically about, say, audience sitcom, for example, where you can you can be at a recording of an audience sitcom and it can go absolutely brilliantly, and you can think, "Wow, that show is going to look fantastic when it goes out." And then it appears on telly, and it's just there's the, something that. Uh, an ingredient that's missing, whereas you go to a great recording of a radio show and what you heard pretty well comes out on the radio. Oh, that's really interesting. I've never really thought about that. And, uh, so effectively you're sort of saying, um, why, why does telly suddenly come, occasionally come up shit? Which <laughs> is not a question I feel I can answer, really. I suppose it's that uh, because radio, you're using your imagination a bit more. You're not actually, you're not actually seeing the four people standing with their scripts by a microphone. You're actually... You're, you're, for instance, you're, you're seeing John Finnemore in his well, I, pressure yeah. I mean, it's, it's, effectively, I suppose what what you're saying is that um, by the time it's being performed in front of an audience, you're 85 percent of the way there. Um, whereas with tell you, it might only be 60 percent of the way there. Yeah. Yes. No, Can you give us some examples of hor- without naming names of horrible radio shows, <laughs> recordings that have gone horribly wrong? No. <laughs> no, I, don't, I genuinely don't think I can. Because mine seem to go all right. So, so what, what, what's, uh, what, what's this existential angst that you've been referring to? Oh, no, not, not, not on my behalf. I mean, sometimes you, you, know, you hear shows where you sort of think, or, or you, uh, you know of shows where you sort of think, um, I don't think that's a very good idea, and then it isn't when you hear it. Right. But I can possibly name names. Uh, OK, no, fair <laughs> enough. That's OK. How, how many Milton series is this now? Um, this is actually the ninth series Milton has done, and the last, uh, the last one will be the 50th show. Blimey. Yeah, no, blimey, it's quite Over arresting. Over how many years? It? A long time, isn't um, it? Ten, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty arresting, actually. It's yeah. a sort of hero of Radio 4 without, without Radio 4 making too much fuss about it. Radio 4 don't make a fuss about anything. 
mean, they're very sedate. They make genteel. Yeah, I mean, they make, no, they make a fuss about one show a week, and if you're if there's a big show that's opening in the same week as yours or some big news thing, then uh, you might as well just forget. They ha- they have very limited resources, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which is is a shame. You know, one thing you always get in the newspapers is these big sort of like what's coming up in the next six months. You get dance and opera and stand up and theatre and so on, and there's never a radio thing. You think hmm, it should be so hard to organise, should it? But was there a time you wondered if Milton would ever break through? Um, I didn't sort of think about it in terms. Of, in radio, you don't think about it in terms like that because one of the uh, because one of the things about radio is it it is its own end. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds I don't. It's a very Beckettian thing to say. No, I mean it's um, you know the great thing if you like about radio is if you get a show on air on Radio Four at half six, that's it. You, it is what it is. It goes out to one and a half million people which is twice the number of people you'll ever get. Um, and uh, that it's uncompromised. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's done its own thing. It's, no, it's not going to go absolutely bonkers huge. I mean, you know, maybe Hitchhiker's Guide, perhaps, you know, but once every 20 or 30 years, something vaguely comes to the newspaper's conscious, consciousness. But well, by and large, it's its own end. Well, of course, Little Britain, which... Uh, yeah, but not as a radio show, it's ignored as a radio show. I mean, there are plenty of shows that have been fabulous on telly and were perfectly sound on radio, but probably I would have thought only really Whose Line Is It Anyway, Hitchhiker's Guide and On the Hour sort of even tickled the newspaper's consciousness, or the BBC Board of Governors, for that matter. Yeah, um, everything, everything else might be tremendous, including, say, not just Little Britain, but um, Goodness Gracious Me, or um, Boosh, or League of Gentlemen, who all sort of started on radio, but sort of as, a, as an adjunct to their television presence. As radio shows per se that didn't say translate onto telly subsequently Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm. Can't think of anything else. Right. Yeah. No, I am just struggling to think of more. Yeah. more Can I ask a question? Is, that, is yeah. that a bit of a double-edged sword that you're kind of you're not as radio, you're not promoted perhaps as much as TV, but you are left to your own devices a little bit more. Um. Radio Radio Four is what it is. It's 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 anomalous, um, unusual, daft, and people in the know love it, and they're right to love it. Uh, I think if you sort of think, oh, why can't we be famous? Um, then you're committing a category error, really. And you should try and get a panel show on telly. Um, it's deeply and profoundly loved by the people who deeply and profoundly love it. But do you, I mean, do you notice there is a tendency away in TV from the narrative sitcom? Or just narratives generally? No, no, they're still doing it. They're just costly, you know, so they just, they just do. Like, they cost twice as much as a panel game and five times as much as some bloke learning to scratch his ass in a butcher's apprentice shop or something. I mean, do you know what I mean there? So, yeah. so, so they're only going you know, to do that, you know, so many of them. Yeah. I, did, well, I thought panel shows, when, once you... Panel shows with big names in them, surely they cost as much to make as... No, a, no not unless no. the production company is ripping the beeb off. No, no, not at all. No, panellists uh, might get... Uh, say um, a star who's in their own sitcom like Jack Dean, Led Balloon, or Tim Vine and Lee in Not Going Out, I would imagine if they did an appearance on a panel game they'd get something like a tenth or a fifteenth of what they get for a, an acting part in a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Really? I would have thought. Well... Oh, I'm learning an awful lot then. Um, Me no. too, I just made that up. Um, <laughs> but it, no, it, does, it doesn't compare. There are quite strict rules yeah. about panel game appearances. What's, what, I mean, uh, listening to a show like Cabin Pressure, which for me is a, seems such an obvious show to go to telly, and obviously you've mentioned cost as a, as a reason, but why, why do you think more shows 
don't go from radio to TV? Uh, well, there's two, there's two answers to that question. question uh, answer one is they do. Loads go. Um, you know, and we, we've already sort of listed some of them, but uh, you know, it's probably one in, one in a dozen do. The other answer is they don't because telly people don't like radio shows. It annoys them. I think they find them a bit dusty. Um, radio 4 has its own particular style, and sometimes the more Radio 4 it is, the more successful it is for Radio 4, the less it appeals to television. I think that's a very definite phenomenon, is that telly people listen to... I've had this before on comments on some of my shows, that they go, well, it's a great radio show. Oh, well, it's brilliant on the radio. Um, to which you sort of feel like answering, yes, we could sort of reproduce that again. We're not all... You know, we could do that on telly. It's not... Uh, um, but by and large... I think the criteria for something getting on television are a little more confused and multifarious than uh, just, oh, is it funny enough? Radio is extraordinary. Radio is the last bastion of, is it, if it's funny enough, we'll put it on. It's one for I mean, my utter respect to the commissioning team, the commissioning editor, Callan Raphael, and the controller, um, his name I can't remember, but should be able Gwyneth. to remember. Gwyneth. They have, does she have a surname? Williams. Um, they are tremendous, I think, at going, well, if it's funny enough, we'll put it on. Of course, that's a byproduct of radio not costing any different, really, whether it's got sets or no sets, or whether it's a single mm. or panning will cost the same, so they can mm. pick and choose. Um, but and they have a phenomenal amount to choose, uh, uh, choose around, don't they? I mean, I well, so do, well, so well, so do telly people, to be fair. Yeah. There's, no, there's no difference in, in height of pile of scripts in the office. Mm. Um, but, but radio has very few masters to serve other than, is it funny enough? Thank goodness. Telly has lots of masters to serve, many of which are stupid. Mm. I don't mean uh, physical, you know, I mean, uh, you know, criteria by way, or parameters by which they decide whether to let something get on telly. And, and the airwaves are littered with the corpses of shows that shouldn't have got on, but got on for silly reasons. We all know it. I'm not going to name names because it's invidious, but many shows should never have got made. They got made for silly reasons. Mm. <laughs> Less slightly on radio. So that's nice. Do you, do you worry, just, just for your personal uh, thing now, I mean, I, I, you, you, have, you are certainly to a number of people associated with so many great radio shows. Do you worry sometimes that you're being typecast as Mr. Radio? No. No, it's just nice, nice to be in work. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever thought of um, being an executive job? Like oh, God, no, that'd be dreary, wouldn't it? How horrible. meetings. Well, a meeting's all right. I mean, this is a meeting in a way. Um, no, I mean, um, I would just like making shows. I think it would be horrible to sort of uh, stroll in onto the floor into the studio while it's all in action and sort of go, well, how, how's it going, everyone? Marvellous. Carry on. <laughs> it would be rotten, wouldn't it? But you just, uh, I mean... What a fake job. As you say, nice being in work. You were saying earlier, just, just um, I suppose, about a month ago, you were sitting there with... 17 shows that you were having to deliver <laughs> yes. in the space of about three weeks or something. Yeah. Is there a point, ever a point when you're doing that and thinking, ah! Oh, um, yeah, but that's, that's a good arg, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I like doing shows. And, it's, no, and with comedy more than ever, it's brilliant because you get, it, you get first go on the jokes. You know, Milton will send you a new joke, or Jeremy Hardy will send you a new joke, or Marcus Briggs will so let's do it, and, you, and you're the first one to look at it. And, um, I, you know, it's a, there is this image of you sort of alone at night in the office with a pair of headphones on or, or, reading, or looking at a piece of paper and suddenly barking with mad laughter at <laughs> the new John Finnemore script in the darkness in the middle of the night. It's, uh, it's really nice. Good. Oh, that's, 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 that's good that you still retain that enthusiasm. Because you, you, uh, you did actually do stand-up, didn't you, for a while, I remember? Uh, yeah, I did, but I wasn't... Um, 
I wasn't. They didn't storm the stage uh, with either adulation <laughs> or hatred. Uh, I saw you many times. And you certainly, you. I've, I've seen many, many worse comedians, than David. Be, a, a beautifully <laughs> chosen. Uh, yeah, I, I too yeah, have yeah. subsequently seen many worse comedians. Um, I, I never saw. I, I always. You always went down pretty well. Really, yeah, I would. Uh, I wasn't good enough to put myself. When I first started in radio uh, as a producer, having been doing stand up and writing that year, I did a show called Cabaret Upstairs, which, which was sort of one of the very early stand up shows, which was only at the same time as Saturday Live because the producer that night used to go to the same clubs and go that Joe Brand she's new but she's good uh, oh, Mark Thomas why don't we put him on um, and I wouldn't have put me on as a stand up I was just below that level I think so. but um, do you think that's, um, uh, that helps do, do you think I mean there are a lot of producers now who um, who just they, they haven't necessarily had that sort of Experience at the front line, really. Do you think that? Do you think that um, helped at all? Um, or shall I just stop with that? Shall we see if that all right. going to Either there's a there's a ghost in this theatre who is <laughs> clumping above us, and uh, no. Oh no, he stopped. I think when you talk about them, they go away. The hammering ghost. Aha. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, nope. no. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. David's next answer will be accompanied by rhythmic hammering. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, I mean, it was. I, I found it useful and nice because I knew everybody on the circuit, so you could go up to sort of Paul Merton or Jeremy Hardy and say, "Oh, let's do a show," and they won't go. And you are, um, but other producers have other package of skills. Great producers who've never been on stage ever, um, so it's just a bit random. Do you think there's a bit more respect from the stand-ups themselves because they know that you've had a go at it. <laughs> Not if they've seen me. <laughs> Not true. No, well, actually, it might have been true at the start. I mean, when I started uh, producing, which was in 1986 or something like that, um, uh, it, the stand-up circuit was very passionate and very devoted and still not that big. Uh, and I think it probably did make a difference then because it, it was, you know, it was an emotional thing. you go down and they, they knew always... Do, he's put in his time, he knows all the clubs have been to, you know... the. the tiny, tiny gigs and done that, you know, hour and a half travel on the tube to a lonely gig and then lonely back again. Um, that probably helped. These days it's all so much more pro, nobody cares. Yeah. Um, I think. But you, you don't think, I mean, there are some, I mean, conversations I hear where, but certainly where um, uh, comedians are working with producers who've come straight out of college and uh, not so much, uh, don't you know who I am, but more kind of... Uh, you don't know you're telling me what to do you know what, what could you possibly know you know yeah uh but i think that goes for all relationships in any creative industry i think it will be up to the producer to say well i do know and this is why and for the act to go oh yeah okay that's a good idea and for it to be a sort of collaborative thing rather than a competitive thing um if the, if, if the comedian is feeling that from the producer then the producer probably hasn't a said anything sensible or b said it right um because, you know, necessarily I think comedians uh, should be defensive about their skills and what they do in the time they put in and the life choices they've made. You know, if someone's decided to be a comedian, that's a really brave, brilliant thing. I mean, they could have sort of got a job somewhere, you know. Um, so it's utter, total respect that that's what they decided to piss their lives away on rather than, you know. So, um, so I think that would always be my starting point. Is what, you know, I often say, like we say with Milton, we're discussing a joke, and Milton's joke says, your listeners will know a very, a very either or. So he's got a very, very strong ear for whether it's strong enough. Um, and he'll say that one works, or, you know, and I'll go, fine, I'm behind the glass. You know, I'm not, I'm not out there doing it, so you go for it. 
that's, that's a good healthy attitude. Now, um, a lot of people who uh, listen to our, our podcasts are new writers and, and they're, they're, they're starting out. I mean, do you do you read a lot of scripts by new writers yep. at all? Yep. Yeah. Um, I read everything that gets sent in. Hard copy only, please. Down to dressed envelope if you want it back. Um, yeah, we, we read everything. What, um, do you, what are you looking? For? What, what, what sort of? I mean, obviously not. Oh, it's 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 content. But, it's know. it's really simple. Um, only send one script and make sure it's the funniest one. The eight you've written. Uh, if if it's funny, we'll work it out. We'll make we'll we'll get together somehow and try and make it work. Um, that's all. That really is all. I mean, you know, th- there are caveats after that, like oh, God, don't set it in space or don't set it in the past or, you know, don't you know if don't if, if it's for radio, don't fill it full of stage directions and stuff. But you know, that, all that we can sort out. You know, right. uh, funny really. Mm. What if the funniest sketch show set in space ever? <laughs> well, landed on your desk. Well, this is the thing, you know. Don't sit in the past unless it's as funny as Blackadder. Don't set it in space unless it's as funny as Red Dwarf. You know, there's sort of exceptions to every rule. I mean, of course, Radio Four are very pleasingly actually strict and clear about what they don't do. Unlike Telly, which is a bit smushy. You know, they have two historical sitcoms at the moment, The Castle and Bleak Expectations, so they won't take any others. Well, that's straight. That's fine. That's quite straightforward instruction to everyone out there. Everyone's got a medieval sitcom in them, but don't write it. There's no point. Right. Um, you know, but after that, you know, just go for it. I mean, we're doing, we are actually doing a space station sitcom. In fact, I did say to the writer of this, he gave me the script, this particular writer, and I said, you set it in a space station. Yes, they won't commission it, I know, but it's really funny. All right then, because it is really funny. And then they did commission it, because it was really funny. So own rule lying broken in pieces on the floor. Well, but again, <laughs> that's um, Fred Barron uh, says that um, one of the uh, things he says about all the rules that he says about comedy, he says right now, one of you is going to go away and break every rule that I said. Well, great, you know, as long yeah. as you've done, as long as you've got lots of funny ideas and things in there, you just go ahead and break that rule. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, but please, not thirty uh, sitcom set in space stations on David's desk tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it is it, it's my job in a way as producer to sort of enjoy the joy of something funny, whilst at the same time sort of keeping an eye on. The highly intelligent Radio 4 commissioning briefs that say don't set one with two lady detectives because we're doing that. Um, Telly's different. Um, Telly, the rules are so much more stupid that you might as well do what you what you want. Um, there it will be budget restrictions that will you know don't, if you're going to set it um, in something with five thousand characters and with pitch medieval battles or massive film parodies or something. It, and also, it's very difficult to get those cameras out into outer space as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you wouldn't want to fake it, not with the new compliance no, rules. That's right. Mind you, they managed it with the Apollo space landings, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, right. There's a few people that might be listening to that saying, ha-ha, he knows, he knows. Um, you, know, you know the film Saturn, Saturn Capricorn, 3? No, Capricorn 3. Yeah. That was actually filmed in space. <laughs> yeah. They don't tell you that, do they? That's a, that is a fantastic joke for anyone who... Has seen Capricorn three. Which has OJ Simpson in it? Rather bizarre. OJ Simpson's in that. Is he? Oh, the conspiracy right. thickens. Anyway, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, right. Is there, are there any very slow car chases in there? <laughs> Not enough, in my opinion. No. Remember, um, a man survives by drinking the blood of a snake in that because they're stranded in the desert. Aren't they? That used to haunt me as a child. Right. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> Is that James, James Brolin? Anyway, uh, moving on. Cancelling <laughs> session. Uh, Edit point is the phrase we're looking for. <laughs> any more questions from the from the panel? Uh, I'm personally, as a big Milton Jones fan, I just think 
after working with him for ten years as you have, do you still find him just as funny as you? As you oh, oh, it's extraordinary. Too? Yes, we'll we'll do. A, I mean, I'd say fifty shows, literally fifty shows with him, um, and then we'll do a double recording where you know we've been working on the script for weeks, and then there'll be and, and we've also shot his DVD. We filmed his DVD, and we're filming his DVD this year, so we can see his shows. And at the end of the recording, we'll say goodbye to the audience, and he'll suddenly do, and he'll do a couple of minutes just to say goodbye, and there'll be four new jokes in there. Yeah. That I've not heard. I couldn't think, well, hang on. Where, where were they? And he's extraordinary. Now, I, I have asked you this question before. It's an old chestnut, but. Yeah, um, six yeah. foot. Yes. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant. <laughs> Which do you prefer, radio or TV? Um, well, no, it's a good chestnut. Um, both. Radio's, radio's sort of vertical, television's horizontal, really. It's very potential. So radio is a sort of massive, deep, intensive, quick burst of very writer-led, you know, you're sort of working with the writer and the writer, and then, and then you rehearse with the cast on the day, and then you're doing it. Um, and that's exciting and uh, quick and fluid. Um, television, however, is a tremendous thing to do. You know, it, stay, it stays around for a lot longer. It's a lot less ephemeral. It's the same thing, just using a posh word. Um, and you can get, and it's tremendous fun. So I like doing both. Fantastic, David Tyler. Thank you very much for joining us today. And um, well, I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. What are you laughing at? As I say, the next one will be coming to you not live, but from the Edinburgh Festival, uh, and hopefully our guests will be people who are still actually coherent enough by um, three weeks' time to be able to come and sit round the table with us. So thanks, David, Aaron, and Tony, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you.